so we know exactly what we're trying to say and we can just read what we're wanting to say. Yeah, because I would just do it or even do it later after. But because you're trying to make it up while you're while you're talking, which is always I find that's always really hard. You're not talking off the cuff. You're trying to. It's, it's definitely harder. It's like work. <laughs> it's, it's damn it. This has turned into work. This used to be fun and now it's work. Feels just like work. You're making me think off the cuff. I don't want to think off the cuff. <laughs> I heard you're famous. Like you keep you keep being famous. Like you're out there talking to people about this topic. We put out four videos by the time this comes out, you said on developer experience. But the videos are cool if you want to go see them. But what I think is cool is you're becoming famous. You are a luminary now, my friend. It's surely feeling that way some sometimes, um, but you know the 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 path we went on our first series of YouTube videos. I really like, and it's about answering the question: Can you measure developer productivity? And you know, for folks that don't know, that's kind of my specialty. I've been in kind of developer experience, engineering effectiveness, kind of process improvement, platform building space for most of my career. And, you know, now being able to build content around some of that's really, really pretty cool. And satisfying, right? It is. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm also doing a handful of other talks like outside of this. Um, so anybody that's interested in, kind of developer portals. Um, I have a couple of different talks coming up one next week and on the February 28th and the other one on March 13th. So if you're interested in that, you can find the link in the description, but should be super fun. But back to, back to like the, the YouTube stuff. What a journey so far, man. Like this has been <laughs> kind of crazy, <laughs> crazy week. It is an interesting platform to learn and to work on and then to figure out, right? You and I have spent more and more time watching it. We're learning and we're building on it. But unfortunately, as you had said earlier in our conversation, right? We are, we are data driven. <laughs> we and ourselves are data driven. That, that, that we are, that we are. And we're going to have to learn to, to, to dial that back a little bit. Yeah, stop watching all the metrics have, on the screen. <laughs> well, and this actually kind of ties back to, you know, can you measure developer productivity? But you can get lost in analytics. You can get lost in data. You can get lost in in trying to have a number for everything. Yeah. And sometimes there isn't a number. Sometimes there's questions that can't be answered. You don't have the information. You don't have the context. You don't have whatever. And there's almost no way to be able to answer it. Or the and, numbers are there, but they're not actually valid, right? It's just a number, right. but it's not really a real number. It's not really helping you to answer a question per se. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I, I see this come up in, in kind of DevX quite a bit, but, you know, I've talked to a number of CTOs who are like, give me one number that tells me how well my organization is doing. Well, can, can I, I'm kind of, but it's going to need like seven asterisks next to it to make yeah, sure exactly. that, that you really understand exactly what this means. And 
you know, just in Lord of the Rings, having one ring to rule them all is not necessarily a good thing. We see how that ended. That didn't end well. It's true. It ended with a really like, you know, four hours of, of movies, all for them to fly back on an eagle. Right. And, well, Why didn't you just fun, take though. the giant eagle there in the first place? <laughs> giant plot hole for Lord of the Rings. Right. Look how many hours you would have saved. <laughs> but it would have been way less fun. But I do love those movies. So. I do um, as well. I actually have a friend who's trying to do a um, a movie night. I got a text last night. He wants to do a movie night for Lord of the Rings. And it's a all day event. They're basically going to get together and, and a bunch of guys and hang out and rewatch Lord of the Rings as like a um, a guys get together kind of a, nice. a format. It's a cool. Are you idea. doing like a director's cut? Yeah. I don't know if you could get that all done in one day. That is a long day. It's a long day. Long day. Would be fun though, even if it's just hanging out with your buddies or whatever. That'd, just, be, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's a group of guys hanging out just to enjoy and like see people you haven't seen in a while, you know? Yeah. Geek out yeah. over a good movie. It's always, always fun. Um, <laughs> so, um, the other thing, you posted a picture, which is really cool, and it was on the Apple Vision Pro. And what did you call it? Crackgate. Yeah. So for anybody that hasn't really been following the 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 Apple Vision Pro. Well, first off, I think this thing's amazing. Yes. I still like I haven't purchased one yet. It's been on my list of things. I'm still on the fence a little bit. But there's like two really, really awesome apps that get me super excited. One New of them is the PGA Tour. They came out with it. So one, one is one and one's the other. So there's okay. a PGA Tour app, which is really cool. You get to see lots of information. You get to see, I mean, there's graphics that lay out in front of you. Super awesome. Same thing with the Formula One app, which is just a concept. Yeah. But you can on the like the table in front of you, you can see the whole racetrack and you can just look at something and it'll pull up a, another video angle and you can look up and see the TV coverage and, and um, just all of these stats. It's amazing. But you also brought up Crackgate, which is like those two, those two things are pretty awesome. But, you know, of course, everything has to be a gate these days. But yeah. it seems like a lot of Apple, the Vision Pros are cracking kind of right down the middle in between the two eyes and uh, could be a pretty big problem for Apple. Yeah, they might have to recall them. And, you know, we'll um, we'll share this um, share this image out as well. Uh, we'll probably put it out on our uh, on our Instagram, which we just got as well. So if you're an Instagram person, come check us out on Instagram. Uh, think big code small. Uh, we'll we'll post this image out there and a little bit of uh, commentary about it. But it it's it's pretty bad. It's a just a, a crack right through the middle of it. It's quite obvious. And it it this one this one specifically actually almost looks like it was meant to be there. Yeah, this like a completely like straight line all down with the, the centerpiece. Yeah, I like the uh, idea with the goggles of the virtual workspace, kind of like Iron Man kind of setup. You know, like let me yeah. let me. You've you've seen my office here. I mean, I have posty notes everywhere. I got whiteboards on the walls. I, I like to work tactile. This would be the next closest version of it. The idea of putting the headset on and putting those screens all over the room and leaving things basically where they were. 
so I can come back to it as well. That I like, and that might be a reason I have to buy it. It's just to yeah. try to create that workspace. But I don't, I, uh, I I saw don't know this if I would funny, do much else on it. I saw this funny video last night, and it's not very much that gets me laughing really, really hard these days, but this poor woman has this these Apple Vision Pro goggles on. She's standing in her kitchen, and I don't know what came up. But all of a sudden, something was coming at her and she turns and runs face first into the microwave. Oh, wow. Shatters the microwave. There's glass everywhere. I mean, and she did hard. Wow. I felt really bad for this poor lady. Oh, was it like the dinosaur video or something she might have been watching? Something like that. I don't know what it was, but she was, she was like, she went running, just like natural instinct, fight, flight, and just smashed her face right into the side of this microwave. And it was really bad. Wow. I'm afraid I'd spend this much money. And because it's so new, um, you'll get bored after the first couple hours because after the newness wears off, you know, do you really use it or do you just pick it up once in a while, hoping something new is on it again? Well, that was going to be my, my big question for you. Like, and you know, you, you kind of already answered it a little bit, but you know, do you, after you've seen what it can do, you see a lot more of the, of it kind of out in the wild. Are you still interested in, in one or are you um, a little more on the, the mild side of waiting for a version two or seeing where it goes? It's so I'm a techie. So yeah, I'd want one. So like that, that I can't do. I already have another virtual reality headset behind me that I use once in a while. I, I like some of the games. I love them. The, um, the map apps. I like the ability to be able to truly go anywhere in the world that I've been before and then almost re-experience it by being able to bring up the map and then go do a street view and kind of see the streets again. And that's been a lot of fun. When we travel for work, I do that to look where the client is and where the hotel is and where the like the general area is. So I validate where I'm going to stay and where I need, like, can I walk to the client or do I need a car? Um, is there transportation? That kind of stuff. So I actually use my VR headset for things like that. And I would hear as well. My, my fear with this is it's so new that not the breaking part, but the, the newness wears off and then, you spent what four or five grand to have a three D weather map or to search the web in three D. Well, you know that's not as much fun. Give me something. Give me what's what is supposed to be the next level. Like you said, the racing thing. If I'm going to go watch a sporting event, or I'm going to watch, you know, even YouTube, like we were talking about before. If I can watch YouTube and I can get additional content off of watching YouTube while I'm watching YouTube, like, you know, or the sporting event and you give me more details like that makes sense. You and I did a show before where we talked about using the augmented reality components where, you know, it gives me that next level of detail, whatever that is, whatever that next level, then yeah, I I'd spend the money really quick, but I don't think it's there yet. I, yeah, I don't I don't either. One of my favorite kind of from what I've seen, at least it'll connect to your Mac and then you can have your actual Mac screen up and you can make that screen as big as you want. And then you can have other things, other things as well. That feels like a a good start. 
but there's definitely problems there where you can't see your keyboard. You, you have to be, I mean, if you can't touch type, then you're going to be, you're going to have some, some struggles there, but you know, I could see like, you know, I, I recently went from having two kind of 20 inch monitors to having a curved 49 inch monitor, which I love having things kind of all over the place. If, if you could make the, the Apple pro have multiple screens like that, that would be really beneficial from a coding perspective. I mean, how many people do you see that have two or three monitors? Yeah. Oh, I have my code over here. I have, you know, whatever my app looks like over here. I have, you know, just different kind of settings for everything. I think that could be really beneficial, but it's not there. It's not there yet. No, you can't I think do, it, it might get there quicker than a lot of other. Well, I think that's a software problem, which can be solved through updates and those kinds of things. Correct. It's not a hardware problem, right? But like, could, uh, the hardware seems, I mean, other than this whole crack gate, but the hardware seems honestly pretty, pretty, pretty impressive in almost every way. Yeah. I, it, the hardware is unreal. I just, I sent you a link. We'll share this link later. Uh, there are more apps out here than I thought for this, uh, which is well, awesome. Basically, uh, every iPad app will work inside of, of the Vision Pro. Which is good, but then you have to ask the questions like we're asking, right? I'm not going to go do 3D shopping on this. I'm not going to worry about some of those things. Um, Zillow with the immersive view to go buy a house is a really great idea. Or to walk through yeah. a house. That's a cool idea. Well, they've had they've had the kind of 3D modeling before. This takes that to a whole nother level. Exactly, right? Um, Sky Guide was one that was interesting. So... You know, my girlfriend and I like to see the stars at night and figure out where the constellations are. It's kind of cool if you put the headset on and now no matter where you look, you you see it. So instead of trying to move your phone, now you just put the headset on. That, okay, that one's great. Like you could spend a lot of time, you know, looking at the sky and learning because now it can pull up additional information and tell you more and more about that constellation or the stars or the satellite or something else that's, you know, in your view. It's a really cool idea. I think it'll get there. And I think pretty quick, um, like most things, it has to have a use that creates a revenue. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Right. I, I heard a really good comparison the other day that I actually really like where the, the Vision Pro is not the next iPhone. It's more compared to the Apple Watch or like the iPad, where everyone had a need for the iPhone. It was a thing that everyone looked and said, ooh, I need that. <clears throat> but the, the, the Apple Watch and even the iPad, iPad had a really big growth at the beginning too, but it was a little bit of a different problem space. Not everybody's going to need one. Not everybody has a, a reason to have them. Right. But it's it, I think that's more of a fair comparison because there's what billions of iPhones out there at this point. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but the, you know, the iWatch or the Apple Watch plus the the iPad are very different, different demographic. And it took a number of years for especially the watch to really be able to kind of catch on. Yeah. And that add a lot of features into the watch for it to to kind of catch up as yeah. you were saying right and, and it becomes you know, the very first mainstream. one that i ever bought was the 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 new one that just came out the ultra 2 okay and it, it it took forever for it to really get to a point where it's like 
all right, am I really going to pay 800 bucks for this thing? It better give me real value where when I looked at a lot of the older ones, it just didn't seem like that was the case. Yeah. And I haven't, it's interesting. I haven't tested a newer one. I have version two, I think. Oh, wow. So you, like I bought it around for a minute. Yeah. I I'm good testing early technology. I don't have a problem with it. Um, it worked, but then what I realized was I was just using it for getting notifications of text messages and things like that. And what it was actually doing was making me look away from the person I was talking to. And then I was feeling like I was, I was being rude. I, yeah. I was, I was not paying attention. There were times where I was glad I had it on because then I could also see that I didn't need to go grab my phone. It wasn't important. Like somebody would send a text, right. I can get that later. Or it's a phone call, I can grab that later. And I didn't have to. So I got good at like how you could watch your watch if you needed to without seeming too rude in front of someone. Because it was still new too, so people weren't used to it like today. Well, and I think that's the, I think that's going to be one of the really big pushbacks against the Vision Pro is that you can't be interactive at all. Like you are, you know, some of the cool things that it seems like it can do while they're watching sports or movies or whatever. Well, like you were talking about having your buddies come over and watch, you know, watch Lord of the Rings. Even if you all had Google, you know, the, the vision pro, it wouldn't be a group thing anymore. It would be, you're all watching a movie in the same space, not together per yep. se. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's going to be one of the things that that's really going to have to you know, they're going to have to kind of figure out is, can you, you know, if you're all in the same space, can you kind of link them all together where maybe even if you're not in the same space, can you link them all together and say, well, great, we're, we're all in this same environment. We can all watch the same movie on this gigantic screen and be able to interact somehow, whether it's through their personas or whatever. Yeah. And, when you start making it like it's a virtual workspace idea, but it's not a workspace, it's like a living room or something else. And so you can look around yeah. and at least see other people virtually, right? It's, it's the um, Ready Player but One, not the not the metaversey stuff where it looks like you're all Wii characters. Like it needs to be more realistic. Yeah, and and I don't even know if realistic's the right word. Well, it, if it is the right word, but I, you know, what I I don't want a better looking metaverse. You know, the idea of like these little characters walking around just feels weird to me because no, no, it's I'm never going to look realistic. You see them sitting on the couch in your room with you or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, even if it's just, you know, like if, I don't know if you've ever seen the personas where it's just this little face. Like yeah. even if it's just little face to the faces to the side, and you're all in there, and and it does this right now. Like when you look, if you're on FaceTime, if you look at somebody, your little persona looks at them, and if you look at the other person, you look like that is enough engagement to feel like you're together in a lot of ways. Yeah, because you can you're still getting talk, the body you language. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And all communication yeah, is body language, 80% of it, 83% or some crazy thing like that is body language. And we lose all 67 of 67% of all stats are made up. Right. Yep. And 50% <laughs> of them aren't, aren't really true, right? That's right. <laughs> and I'm 25% sure you're not really telling me the serious thing. Yeah. 100% of the time, I'm 80% sure. Exactly. So that's awesome. Um, it's... It's going to be an interesting thing. Like, uh, so I thought of a story as you were saying that there was a, there was a, a guy I met getting coffee one day. I walked, uh, the coffee shop by me is inside of a supermarket. 
It's a Starbucks kind of off to the side. They rented space in the, in the supermarket and it's middle of day work. I got an hour before the next meeting. I'm like, I don't want to make coffee. I'm just going to go buy coffee. And I got to buy something for dinner. So cool. I'm leaving. Off I go. Well, I get in there and I walk in quick and because it's in a supermarket, they're shopping, you know, carts into some different places because some people are in line and some people are shopping. I look at this guy. We make eye contact. I nod. He nods. We have a whole conversation that he's the end of the line without me saying anything. So I walk up and get up behind him. And he goes, you know, we just had an entire conversation. Didn't say one word. I said, yeah, exactly. You know, that's just the way you know it used to work. Funny thing. So we start talking. He's like, I'm here because and my family doesn't know I left. He goes, my girlfriend and her daughters don't know I left. And what do you mean? He goes, they were in the house. He goes, the girls are in the living room. They got their phones, laptops open, and the TV's on. And the girlfriend's in the other room on her phone, not paying attention either. And he's like, after a while, I was bored just walking around trying to get people's attention. He says, so I left for coffee. He goes, they don't know I left yet. And, and I think of that because of what you said, it's, it's people are so disconnected in the same room with all the tech. And so now we're gonna go a level further and we're gonna say, Oh, we're not put a headset on. So now with the headset, we're going to disconnect further. We're going to remove people, even, even in the same room, we're going to remove them from each other. So the technology has to find a way to bring some of that, like you said, back into the virtual room, back into the room. If we don't, it's going to have, I think, a lot of um, serious side effects. You have loneliness, you have depression, you have disconnection, anxiety, which I'm sure there's some cl clinical name for that. I'd have to ask my friend's uh, wife. But, you know, there's a lot of things that come from that that are going are gonna to happen. It's going to be a byproduct. And we, we've never been more connected yet further apart. It's a very good and, way to say it, yeah. And the, you know, we, we can span vast distances, but struggle to be in the same room. And that is a, you know, when we think of the, the challenges of the technological age that we're in, these are some of them where before you didn't know anybody outside of your little town or village or, or city for sure, because you had no way of talking to them. And now you can talk to everybody around the world. And yet it's almost a complete opposite of, of where we used to, where we used to be as a society. And I, I don't know what the right answer to that is, but I think we'll, well, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it all shakes out. Yeah. And I still don't know my neighbors. So whether I'm connected or not, I still don't know anybody from where I live. So, and working from yeah. home makes it even worse. So that it does, you know, because even though, like you say, we're connected and I have friends all around the world that I talk through, through video, through FaceTime, through, you know, whatever. Locally here, it's different. It's like we're in this room, right? God forbid, say sell, but you know, you're know you locked in. You don't, the water cooler effect doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You're not bumping into people at work. You don't bump into people in the hallway. Um, it's interesting. I ran a panel this week with work. Um, it's online video. I can actually send a link to it in our, our, our post when we do it. And, and the panel was about an hour. It was really good. One of the things we talked about was the fact that everybody is all working from home. Nobody wants to go back to the office. You know, and then you have employees and things or employers trying to figure out how to get people back into the office, right? It's a real problem. The thing that's different 
that we dove into a little bit. The things that's different is it used to be companies like Google and all these other companies, right? They would create more or less a playground. You got food, you got coffee, you got sleep pods, you know, you, you got whatever you needed. Today, that doesn't work. Now you have to figure out what is the office of the future look like? If it's not virtual like this and it's physical brick and mortar, then that has to create an experience where it's, um, we get together on purpose. We get together for an outcome, for a reason. Maybe it's a meeting for a client. Maybe it's the brainstorm, right? Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, I think there's two, two pieces. And I actually had a conversation about this this week as well, where you, you need those formal things like you were talking about, well, you know, maybe there's a business meeting, you know, we have ways of collaborating, but how do you start to recreate those water cooler type moments? And there's a, um, an interesting company. They've been around for a little while, but there's a company called tuple, Mm -hmm. which is around, it's really just a video calling tool. It was designed around, um, kind of pair programming and those kinds of things. But I think it can have a much bigger effect of how do you connect with people in a way that is not super formal, that, that can help build the camaraderie of a team and help that team operate better. Because when you were in person, you could learn who the person is. You could have a random conversations with them. You could do these kinds of things, but it wasn't formal. You were just kind of walking by and you know, one of the things I like about Tuple makes it super easy to get into a conversation where, you know, you're kind of like picking up the phone and calling them, but it's not, oh, let me send you a Zoom link. Let me set up this formal thing. Let me create an agenda. It's, um, you know, you can just kind of randomly pick up the phone and call people or you can do like office hours and those kinds of things as well where like, hey, I'm just going to be on here. And you can right. come in and join or whatever. Like that's the, you know, the cultural problem, which is what I, you know, it's the, that's the thing we're having to solve where before you built your culture in your office and what all happened there, you, you have to build that very differently in the technology age. Yeah. And, and I was just going to ask you that is projects in the past before COVID, before we added another layer of being remote, we used to do open hours. We used to set up a video call with the remote locations and leave it open all day long. So each room could see each other sitting in the room. And if somebody needed somebody else, they just get up and walk over to the camera. And then they would ask to talk to the other person. And the two of them could have a quick conversation as if they were in the same room. It kind of worked. I don't know if it really, you know, worked, worked, but it was a trying to find a workaround but we were still in an office so it was half a group in an office half a group in an office and usually one or two people that might be fully you know remote working from home or something else but what have you what have you seen happening like nowadays like where where do you see teams you know flocking going well it it, there's not a great answer to this so what i've what i've really seen there is still a very big there's there's this kind of forced dichotomy almost of you know, you should all be in the office or we should be all remote. And there's this, this fight over that in, instead of, well, how can we best come up with a solution that handles both and that can get the most, the most out of the people on the individual teams. 
And as I've talked about plenty of times before, I think there are plenty of times where you need to be in the office and there are plenty of times where you can work remote. It depends on where you are inside of a project life cycle. And it depends on, on what's happening. Right. And you know, a great example of that is I have a new project kicking off in the middle of next month. I'm going to be spending the first week and a half on site. And then we're going to be spending the next five or six weeks kind of working remotely. There's going to be people in North America and people in India. And then the last week and a half, I'm actually going to be spending my time in India to figure out how do we wrap up this kind of 10 week type engagement. And I think that's a great example of, well, you know, we've got to get everything kicked off. Well, then in the middle, we can work remotely as best as we can. And then we really need to be on site and bring those two regions together because that's how we drive the best outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not one size fits all it is, but that takes good leadership and it takes good, you know, a kind of program and, and, and project management pro- and just being able to figure out how to how to put that together to drive towards a successful common goal. Yeah, I've done uh, like you said, I've done it where teams that are, are remote all come on site for the first month of a project if possible. So everyone gets to physically meet each other and talk and, and interact and learn the person, not just the role. So then when we're all remote, there's, there's a, uh, there's a piece that's not missing now, right? It would be missing normally because if you were just remote, you don't really know the person. You just kind of know them from work. So you're not comfortable to reach out and ask for help. You're not comfortable to, to interact with them in a more social way. So it helps to break down some of those boundaries where maybe you don't have to be in the office all the time. Um, to our topics we went through today, though, I think a lot of the in the office does still come back to metrics and productivity and people are afraid because they can't see. Right. It's old school um, uh, leadership and management because it's really not leadership management tactics of, you know, I need to see my workers. I need to know they're working. Yeah. And you need, um, you know, that's the I think that, that that is a really, really great point. It's really a difference between management and leadership, like you said. And, you know, I think that that goes into one of the videos that, that we put out is, you know, our, our, is, our, ooh, let me try that one again. <laughs> <laughs> Has software development become a blue collar job? Right. And, you know, when I think of that, it's, there is a culture that you can create inside of your organization that says, this is the machine you are going to come in. You are going to, you know, insert whatever widget into this machine and it's just going to continue to run forward. And you are going to come in and you're going to do your job. You're going to pound those keys as hard as you can. You're going to sprint from now until forever. And, uh, you know, this is the, that's kind of that culture. The other part of it is, you know, that feels like management, right? How, how much can you manage this process to make sure that everything is, is working the way that you would expect? You know, the other side leadership says, well, no, I trust you as a team to be able to go solve this problem. Now you go do it on your own. You let me know if there's a problem. And if, you know, by looking and seeing what's happening, if if there's a problem and I, as a good leader can manage the, 
the expectations and the consequences of whatever happens, whether that's promoting somebody or letting somebody go. Right. But that takes good leadership. It takes good insights and it takes really understanding what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Trying to manage something like a factory. Yeah. That's leader's intent. That's the ability for me to tell the team we need that. Just get me that. I trust you to figure out how to get that, but we need to do that. What management is, oh, I'm going to micromanage you. Not that all managers micromanage. I'll be open on that, right? But it's a different way of looking at the problem where I'm managing a process and the people in a way that I want to get the most, I want to help them be as as effective, as effective as possible is what I'm trying to do, right? Make them effective. And in that, I'm looking at practices and procedures and I'm looking at metrics and I'm looking at a lot of different things where both of them, um, create their own type of culture, right? You can either build up or break one. That's right. And this, this leads a little bit into one of the other videos we put out this week, which is how does, how does software engineering really add value to an organization and how do you align that into overall business impact? And, you know, if, if you don't understand what you're trying to accomplish and you're just trying to manage through, through metrics, you're never really going to, that's most likely never going to align to a lot of business impact. And if, if you can't understand how that machine actually works, you're, you're really going to struggle to motivate people to get them excited about working and all the things that come along with that. And you're going to have people that hate their job and they're just there because, you know, they need a paycheck. And that only lasts for so long because as we also said in the video with different types of collars, right? Gold collar, which was your, you know, high impact, you know, very smart, very unique individuals, uh, difficult to hire into an organization and difficult to keep if they're not happy, but they make it, they make the difference. They, they change your bottom line, right? They are not going to stay in an organization if they're unhappy, if they're getting treated bad, poorly, if the culture is falling apart and, What we end up seeing is organizations, right, start to lose that they lose their skilled people. They look, they lose their best people first. Mm -hmm. And then what they're left with are all the poor performers and all the people they were afraid to fire back when. So now they did the opposite. They tried to be nice and and they tried to be nice and take care of everybody, right? Oh, we're just going to be nice to everybody. And, And because of that, they end up losing their culture and they could lose their organization, because they end up losing all their good people anyway, where if they kept firing the bottom 10% and refreshing with skilled professionals and then coaching and leadership and everything to help the rest of the organization to grow, they would um, grow a stronger culture and a community and, and they would actually do better. Right. Um, yeah. Was it GE Jack Welsh had that. That was his, one of his, his standard core practices. Well, in this, you know, when you don't do that, this kind of leads into our, third video of the week but you know i'm not even doing this on purpose either this is you're you're nailing it man you're just setting these up and knocking them down but like the third one is you know developer productivity and the rise of fake work bullshit jobs and really overemployment. but this leads into kind of the, the, the fake work a little bit to me of okay well if you've lost a lot of your really top players you you see things are slowing down. You have projects that are that are lagging behind or even never completing. 
what does a lot of people want to do? Oh, well, you need more management. Of course, yeah. you need more, you need more process. You need, you need all of these things. And you know, for anybody that's ever been mad enough at themselves to try safe, they'll know exactly what it is where, Oh, you've now built this just process heavy machine. That's supposed to just spit out these widgets. Right. And then you end up losing more of your better people. Then you have, you need to, you need people to manage the machine. So you've now built this machine. You need people to manage it. You need people to monitor it. You need people to report on it. You need people to manage the people that are managing the process. Now, all of a sudden you have this whole group of people that are adding zero value to the organization that you've run out your good people, you now add them. And then when that doesn't work, what do you do? Well, we need more people to manage the people. And it just, it turns into this insane spiral yep. you know why of having say? hundreds of people providing almost no value to yep. the actual client yeah. or to the, to the business. Yep. That's why it's safe. Insanity. It's safe because nobody's building anything that's going to break. That's no business is safe from the, from the outcome that this will bring you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you make a very good point there and something we see often which is a pet peeve of mine even is we end up adding so much oversight and so many layers of that because of these frameworks because of these methodologies and pro- practices and processes because we misunderstand them we read a book we understand the academic side of it maybe but we don't understand the practical side of it and it doesn't get implemented correctly and then because we're not watching the right metrics when we should be watching metrics on some of those we're not making adjustments and then it starts to erode the culture it starts to hurt the very people that are actually building and developing the things that make your organization or make your product or you know provide your services to your customers whatever it is right it's you you hurt the output by the process instead of the process helping the the actual output because we're not looking at it in the right way that was a lot but it's the you know if you take it all the way back to like the agile manifesto you know it is it is about people over process and it seems that every that that is a basic statement seems like every other thing is literally 100 the opposite of that right it is more process and less about the people and to reiterate the point that you just made that gold collar person that you've hired that is just your rock star take care of that person like that's just it's that's the person that's going to drive innovation across your organization and figure out how do you get the most out of them every time they make more people yeah and bring bring up the whole whole space but if you're if you're focusing around the process and less about the people those people vanish because they know they can go get another job we uh we say organizations should be customer focused outcome driven you should be looking at how you're adding value to your customer to keep your customers what we don't do is ask the same questions sometimes internally if that's my rock star my job internally is to help them be a rock star so what am I doing in my day to help them be a rock star? Now, there's probably, you know, there's a lot of intangibles that are happening around these roles. People don't feel like they have enough to do, maybe, because they don't really understand the role. So they're adding processes and practices so they can show their importance of the role because they're afraid of getting fired. You know, so they're trying to add value maybe in the wrong way, but they're doing it for the right reasons. It's just the wrong output. Because again, we're not providing enough guidance or coaching and leadership over the years, right? Um, but 
the question, the external question has to be added, asked internally. Um, how are we adding value to our teams, to our, to our top performers and those teams they're on to allow them to continue? And, and that's, you know, and leadership, 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 leadership. And being, that's really what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to so many people that, and you kind of made this point, but there's a great example of it. Everybody has OKRs. Lots of people have OKRs. Most of them are absolute garbage yeah. that don't really lead into much. They don't talk about any real impact. They don't, and they're all garbage from the top all the way down. And if you have garbage for goals, then you're, you, you have no North star. While a lot of the way people have implemented OKRs, I think is absolute. It's way too process heavy and it gets away from the actual problem you're trying to solve, but that's a whole nother topic, but you have to have a North star. And when you are thinking about where do you make an investment how do you change a product or tool or technology to be able to fix a problem? If you don't have a North star that you're driving towards, you will constantly be lost and you're going to waste a lot of time. You're going to waste a lot of money. And, you know, in one of the other videos, we talk about, you know, the disconnect between kind of business impact and the work being done. Well, the reason that disconnect happens is because there is no real North star. And so you're, you have all of these kind of, you know, engineering problems and, and things that are being solved, but no one can really articulate the value of that. And that's just, that's really bad. And you end up wasting just time and time and money and, and you're not, you know, you're, you're seeing no growth. Everything is stagnated yet. You're spending millions and millions of dollars on all of these projects. And at, at some point your CEO and CFO get sick of it. And they're either going to fire the CTO or the, like you say in one of the videos, they're going to bring in McKinsey and they're going to, they're going to shove productivity down your throat, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I've seen that, not the shove down your throat part, but the, the, the other parts where if you don't have a common vision or a goal of where you're going, you, you end up having everything be important, right? So prioritization breaks <laughs> and you get uh, fiefdoms created in organizations because now everyone feels their things the most important because they don't really know how it aligns to the outcome of the business, but they know it's going to drive some kind of value they hope. So they're just going to push their initiative forward. So everyone gets their own initiative, their own focus and their own drive and no one's working together, but we're all going really fast forward somewhere, but just not together. And, and it is, it's a bad thing. The other side of it is again, we've both seen it probably the, over indexing on that where I know for me, I've been in meetings that were like two months worth of planning where it was just over indexing on having to have everything perfect. Right. And what is it? Perfection is the enemy of good. And it's like way too much. Everything had to be written out so much. So, and so perfect spend hours doing these things. And then no one looks at it again after it's created. It's because it's all wrong in six weeks. Yeah. I mean, and maybe not six weeks, but maybe definitely six months. You can't plan out that far. Every time I hear somebody, somebody, oh, I have a three-year plan. No, you don't. <laughs> Everybody had a three-year plan in 2019. What happened? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> that all three year plan got, you know, yes, that was a bit of a black swan event, but still, like, it doesn't you, matter. It's still you, a good example. It doesn't matter. And to, to try to say that you know where you're going to go in that amount of time is just absurd. And, you know, but the best, the best laid plans are, you know, I, I appreciate people trying. And they should maybe be directional, but those things have to be written in the lightest pencil or you can just kind of erase them and, and move on. Yeah. Um, there was a, a quote I liked to this whole thing, and it was, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. It was uh, Dwight Eisenhower, yeah. I think. Yeah. And uh, the idea was we can spend months and months and months uh, writing the perfect plan for the perfect goal for the perfect whatever one year three year five year doesn't matter but as soon as the world gets its say then it's you know it's changed it's never going to be the what what was there was another guy who had a quote like that and i don't remember it but it was basically as soon as you write the plan throw it out and then go start working like just go do something right you, you can you can lose the forest for the trees. Well, the plan was to give you focus, like you said, of where you're going to go, what I'm going to do. Just like you and I talking about the stuff I, I was just doing the other day here is I wrote out and spent a lot of time heavily focused on which which direction is all this going. But I'm not going to live and breathe that like it's, you know, gospel now and I can't change it. This is the current direction. Now, how do I action it? And now work on the actions, work on moving it forward. And then, and actually you just said it and we talked about it. I remember that. Yeah. Um, the forest is as important as the trees. I remember that's what I wrote <laughs> because if you don't stop and pick your head back up once in a while and look around, then you'll also be so myopically focused that you'll be going in the wrong direction at some point. That's right. I think another, another interesting analogy is, you know, if you have a fish in a lake or in an ocean, they have no idea of the world up above them because they it's it's opaque to them. They can't see there. And if you're if, if you're, you're swimming underwater or you're dancing on land, whatever, you 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 need to now what does that other side look like? And how do you start to make sure that you're giving yourself all of the information to be able to then work on it and you know pull those things together so as you are trying to navigate the world of whether it's your business or your product or your team or whatever you now have all of the the knowledge necessary to see the small but also to be able to see the big right uh, one one thing that that which which i think is super fascinating by the way <laughs> yes <laughs> and I know I mentioned my whole walls as they're full of posty notes. I um I have a, a it's 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 become a joke even as I have a remarkable two and I love it. It's a great notebook, digital notebook. It feels like writing on paper. I do like it. It's probably the closest to still trying to stay digitally disconnected. I get in meetings now and, and one of the guys I work with has me do my sales pitch for it so I can sell it to people literally at this point. But even that's too much, I found, because I want to flip pages in a book faster. I want to look at my notes from yesterday or my calendar, and I want to put them next to each other. And I want my brain to process these pieces of paper next to each other. And on a digital notebook, I can't do that. On an iPad, I can't do that. When I open up a laptop, there's 10,000 things going on. Even if I close them, I know they're there. 
And what I found was the noise was keeping me from working and being focused the way that I used to be able to do where I could quickly look at a couple stuff, a couple different things, papers and stuff. I could look at them and quickly process it and come up with like, what's the next thing to do? What's the strategy I need to have? What piece of information am I missing? Like it just clicks, you know, you look at it and it clicks. And I find when I look at paper, sometimes it's still not doing it. So I decided I'm like, you know what? I'm theoretically turning it all off. And I got in a car the other night and I drove to, I think it was a Staples. I drove to Staples and I found an, a day timers insert for my old day timers. That was the year's calendars, the two pager calendar. I said, I'm using this for all of my daily planning. And I started changing my morning process where I get coffee in the book and I plan out the day and I block my time out. Right. None of these are new concepts, but I'm like paper. That's it. And then, um, I write a review of the day on the one side, and then I, I took notebooks and post-it notes for everything else. And what I'm finding is the process, the stress of the process is simplified because there's no tools, really. There's tools, but not electronic tools, you know, like we're using here. We have monitors and laptops and cameras and mics and mixing boards and like, no, plain and simple. I got a couple of pens and a couple of notes. The cool thing is, is I can lay it all next to each other. And I found that that made the process take a couple of minutes instead of like an hour to regroup. So at the end of the day, when I look at all my stuff, it takes me a couple of minutes to summarize my own retrospective. All right. It's well, pretty cool. I, yeah. I, I, I agree with an awful lot of that. I, I also think that it, it changes and the changes the way your brain works in in some ways where when when i think of meetings or things that have happened in the past i remember my entire kind of surroundings where oh well i was in this building i was in this conference room i was with these people and this was the space that i was in and i had you know i had a notebook and i was writing or whatever like i remember a lot of those details one of the challenges that i find with with technology is this point of view that I have right now, which is quite nice. I have a very nice office, but I am at the same desk with the same keyboard, with the same monitor, with the same lights and the cameras and everything else like you were talking about. The only thing that's different is the one little space on my, my monitor that I wrote something just a little bit different. And it's hard or it's definitely hard for me to recall some of those details because 99% of it is the same. And if you're drawing things out and you send me some pictures of sticky notes all over the wall and it, you know, in my brain, it's like, oh, well, I could remember that's different. I'm, I'm yes, I might even be in the same office, but I have this different layout. It's, it's just lots of different things that, you know, I think help you be a little bit more creative, help you organize things in a way that, you know, there's tons of canvas tools out there. You know, whether it's Miro or Mural, um, at XMind, you know, there's Obsidian has Canvas now. There's a bunch of them out there, but yep. they all are going to look the same in a lot of ways. And being able to go up and draw it and move it around and and feel it and touch it is I think something that we're we're missing a lot of, especially when it comes to kind of the human interaction where, you know, if you're working with somebody else, being able to draw on a whiteboard or do a value stream mapping exercise with stickies on the board and not trying to do it on, you know, a mural or mural or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a real problem that, 
I think we're right in the middle of at this point. Um, there's a, I thought of it last night, actually, when I was working on this is there's a, a, a piece of my personality and my way of working that enjoys that interaction with other people. I think faster. I believe that I lack of better wording, think better when I am bouncing thoughts and ideas off other people. You and I have amazing conversations because we bounce off of each other thoughts, ideas, and such. When I work by myself in a room on a computer, I feel like it takes me longer because I'm not bouncing off the same way I would if I was in an office with people and I can go, hey, can I grab your ear for a minute? Listen to this. Does this sound silly? I have this idea. You know, have you thought like the, that that's missing? And I think it slows down things. I also think it, it kind of flattens out creativity for some people, maybe not all, but, you know, for some people, the the ability to do that. And maybe that's where the, the headset comes back in again is the ability to to interact like you're in the same room, like you said. But uh, well, it at least gives you. It's it. And I get back to kind of, it gives you a different point of view. Right. In in my mind, I don't, I've never had the experience of trying to do that with something like vision pro, but I could, I could see that working where, you know, if you know you have the pass through where, okay, well I can see my office and I can see my whiteboard. If somebody else could see that same thing. Right. And like kind of virtually standing next to me, it's a real room. It's not, again, not like the metaverse looking stuff where it's all fake like this is a real room and being able to collaborate like that i think could be could be something really interesting especially for people that are you know working remotely in vast you know locations and those types of things 100 percent. um i would love to take a lot of the meetings i have all day long and turn them into standing meetings in my room here on a whiteboard so i could draw out the picture you know, I uh, talking about my notebooks, the remarkable allows me to share the screen immediately. And I had three meetings yesterday where I did a screen share right from the remarkable and I could draw pictures for people in the meeting real time. It was outstanding. That kind of functionality is great. Now put that in a 3D augmented reality or I can do that on a big whiteboard and somebody can see it. Oh, that's that's great. Right. But to the same reason you said, just moving on to another point of this is. When COVID hit, everyone was on Zoom or, you know, um, you know, Microsoft Teams or something else. We learned really quickly that as a team, we needed to take a screenshot of the meeting when it started. We had to take a picture of what it looked like with everyone on the screen and keep that in our notes. Because when we looked back at our notes, we needed the visual so the brain would remember the conversation. If we didn't have the visual, we forgot who, like we forgot a lot of the context of the meeting because we were having, you know, 10 meetings a day with different clients and it would just blend so badly. So I 100% agree with what you were saying. We had to take images to fix that. And that's, you know, I don't know how you solve some of that. I think you can a little bit with the 3D thing, but you know, there's another interesting quote of like, you know, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And I think this, this kind of overlays with some of that as well, where, you know, you, you have a, whether it's virtual or in-person or whatever you need, you know, 
you need to be able to have that that team. You need to be able to figure out how to drive forward because if you don't, you're only going to get so far. And we're all kind of trapped in our little cells here. <laughs> and how do we how do we start to you know build that out and push that forward? Is I think the the big challenge for this year and next year is from a communication strategy and and team camaraderie and no one really has the right answer at this point but it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting well it's um it has the possibility of degrading teams further right we're locked in rooms we're all virtual we're not really connected we only talk to people in meetings but we don't have the same connections the personal connections we used to have when we were in an office so the, the 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 culture of a team, the team culture itself, right, degrades because you can't actually grow into a high performing team because a lot of the things that have to happen inside of the team don't happen because it's only video. I've worked with, um, I've worked remotely for the vast majority of the last ten years, and there's people that I can remember working with that I didn't meet for a year or two. We, we worked closely together and, and we, you know, had a good enough relationship or whatever, but the minute that you meet somebody in person, it just changes. Yeah. The whole thing changes. You're like, wow, you're a lot shorter or taller than I expected. You know, I, I always wear a hat because I have crazy hair, but I only wear it when I'm working because I start my meetings at six o'clock in the morning and people are like, wow, you look totally different without a hat on. Right. It's like, well, yeah, but that's 90% me. And, and you, you know, but you can connect in a different way. And once that's happened, you now have the ability to, Oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know you liked this sport or that sport or this thing or whatever. And now you can connect in different ways that you just can't do in the real awkward first couple of minutes of a zoom meeting. Yeah. There's like five or six people there or whatever, even if it's just, you know, it's really hard to have small talk, you know, and, and that's the thing that we really have to, to figure out. Yeah. There are interactions you have in person that you will never replace uh, in, in a video in, in a disconnected. I, you know, you were saying that and I was thinking about a gentleman I met um, from uh, Serbia who I work with and we found out we had like everything in common. Like it, we, we had some of the most amazing conversations that having worked in video, we never let like, to your point. We never had a chance to really talk and figure that out. But we were at a conference in Vegas and for the three days we're at the conference, we're walking around and we're talking and we found it. Oh, we like the same kind of books or the same kind of background and, and like stoic philosophy. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I kind of like this. And he's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, this And I'm like, okay, wow. Um, you know, that, that's pretty cool. And like, it, it, it was a, an amazing experience and a really good reminder of what connecting with somebody in person feels like, you know, it's, there's so much more to learn about people than just the video we see on screen. And we we forget that, I think, over time, because all we do is work 24-7 in front of a, a video screen. We don't talk to the people we see in the real world when we go out to the, you know, to get food and to go to the supermarket. We just kind of get what we need and go back home. You know, I, I like to just randomly start talking to people. You know, they're walking around in their flip-flops and pajamas. They make me nervous. <laughs> uh. I can't, can't believe me there. I don't hardly talk to anybody when I'm when I'm out about. 
Now, everybody seems like it's been okay since COVID to now wear the pajamas to the stores. I don't understand this, but... All social decorum is seemingly out the window these days in just about every way possible. Yep. That part's sad to see. I, I, I think it's something lost in that the the civility of of dressing up for certain occasions and and if we're going to say we play the part in the whole world well we should also play the part in how we dress and how we want to look to the world and you know and that's for men and women women already still take care of themselves you know much more than men do but everybody should have a little pride in what we wear and look halfway decent i'm not saying everybody needs a suit every day with a top hat but you know there's something nice and and i found for myself when i dress up for work I do. I feel good. I feel confident from it. It has something People that it does. People will also treat you different. A hundred percent. I, I, you know, the, I remember when I first started traveling for work, a lot of times I was leaving early and, and I would have a suit on like those kinds of things. And people treat you differently, like yeah. maybe more 10 years ago than, than now, but it, you know, you would get a lot more, Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. This, let me help you with that. Like where even same person, same everything, just dress differently. You're going to get treated differently. And that is a, um, a thing that we have seemingly forgotten. Yep. And it makes a little difference that the handshake, a lot of the little things that people maybe don't think are important, they still make a difference because I guess somewhere in our brain or somewhere in our culture, it still is considered to be, you know, respectful and everything else. It's, it's an interesting, uh, completely off topic, but a very interesting thing that I, I observe and see because it does make a difference when I will get on a plane in an airport. If I'm jumping on and I'm in a t-shirt and jeans, they kind of just ignore you a bit. But when I'm still dressed for work and I might be in a a jacket or a a vest and dress pants and shoes, all of a sudden you see them. You see the people that are working there do look at you different. They treat you different. Right. And and it might be subtle, but it's still there. It's, it's interesting. So I don't know. Oh. I sidetracked this here. I like this though. Um, well, I, th- I guess this is, uh, you know, this feels I, like a good place to. I say I dropped the to, mic. To call. I think we're good with yeah. the week. Yeah. Plus, it's we've been on for a while. We have. Yeah. <clears throat> do we do we want to just do a little quick quick outro? But yeah, and then I'll cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess this feels like a really good place to uh, to kind of end the end the week. And no, yeah, no, I, no, no. I, I can definitely um, tell. Like I'm getting tired, and I know you're getting tired too. Oh yeah. Um, 